Hi, this is Obi. We are back. A little break. We don't have any sponsors still, but I would like to tell you about an event that my firm did uh, last year that we are bringing back this year, and that's the Ken Knight Awards. We held an event last year to honor all Black media in Jacksonville, and we named them after a person called Ken Knight who was one of the first black people on TV, radio, and did a lot for black media. And so we are holding our second annual Ken Knight Awards in June, the week of Juneteenth this year, as opposed to February, just because of COVID. And just letting people know about this event, but also if you'd like to sponsor this event, which we had plenty of sponsors for, please reach out. Time for the show. Welcome to the 16th episode of Why You Should Care. Each episode, we look at a different political issue, and hopefully by the end of this issue, you'll know why you should care and what you can do about it. I'm your host, Obi Umana. I'm a lawyer and political consultant born and raised right here in Jacksonville, Florida, and my firm provides political consulting for local, statewide candidates and also issue-based campaigns. Currently, we provided services for several elected officials and, and winning issue campaigns and referendums. I just finished serving as a North Florida political director for the Joe Biden campaign in Florida, where we won Duval for the first time. And we turned Duval blue for the first time in 24 years. And local politics is my business. But what if it isn't? This podcast is designed for you. One more housekeeping item. I am not a journalist. I'm a political consultant who works on Democratic candidates. This podcast may have some bias, so do your own research. You'll probably see I was right, but don't bother me about being biased. And funny enough, this episode is all about research in a way. It's really not political. This is going to be one of the few non-political episodes that I do. And really what I'm doing on this episode is we want to ask questions about the vaccine. So we've invited Dr. Porter, who is a doctor at Mayo Clinic to come on the show and kind of answer some questions and give us some information about the vaccine. I've asked a lot of you guys for questions and I'll be answering them on the show today. And so we're going to do a short episode that's just about vaccine questions. And then we'll do probably another episode about the vaccine, the political part of the vaccine rollout. But I didn't want to make this episode uh, political. I wanted to make it just about answering questions about the vaccine. Dr. Porter, thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate having someone with your breadth of knowledge to come on and answer some questions. So we're going to start you off with a softball question first, though, an easy one. I saw from your bio that you are a a double FSU grad, and I'm not going to hold that against you. We're Gators over here, but I definitely want to give you an opportunity to answer this easy question. It's who is your favorite FSU athlete of all time and why? Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show first. Uh, And I appreciate you not holding where we choose to get our education against each other. Florida State will always be in my heart. I adopted my first dogs there. I met my wife there. I spent so much time there and they they allowed me to become who I am today. I've always been a football fan, work done. Coming up after that 93 championship, watching work done, the media going, you know how the media is and how we talk, we sensationalize the loss of his mother. I mean, dealing with loss of my own family. He just always seemed to be that one. And then following him later in his life and what he's mm-hmm. done for so many families mm-hmm. and what, how he's given back to the communities. The answer is the easy one to be worked on for that one. That's a great answer. And not only is that a, he's a great 
college player, but he we had a, a very underrated NFL career as well. He doesn't get enough credit for that. And I think that's a great kind of segue into what we're trying to do today is really about reaching out and helping the community get some answers, right? I think you're a doctor, I'm a lawyer. What we try to do is always try to bridge the gap between what we've learned in school and really bring it back to the community so they can benefit. And so thank you for coming on the show. I think one of the things I want to just get start off with is I think it's important to talk about why some people may be hesitant to take a vaccine for COVID, particularly in the African-American community. It's no secret that the healthcare system hasn't always been the best place for African-Americans for several reasons, but this vaccine is, is, is available now. I just wanted to kind of, you being in the field, kind of discuss a little bit of that. And do you even see that in your regular practice as well? No, I, I mean, I certainly see that's one of the main things I'm trying to fight is that vaccine hesitancy that you described. And there are real reasons. There are real justified reasons why many individuals would not feel the most confidence in moving forward with getting a vaccine. Some of those are legitimate. Some of them are less legitimate. But again, it's all within the beholder. If that's how you feel, that's how you feel. Mm -hmm. It's my job to explain why the way that you feel shouldn't be a concern. Um, And that's what I'm trying to do. But if you think historically about minority populations just not being a priority within medicine, right? So your problems may not be the problems that your care providers are dealing with kind of on the front line. Uh, That might make it less of a priority for you. If you think about the way that some minority populations have been treated historically, and unfortunately, historically, Mm -hmm. it's only, what, 50 years ago? Right, exactly. the The Tuskegee experiments and all these things. There are people alive that remember that and that have legitimate trust issues with what our healthcare system can offer them. And then lastly, I mean, the idea about vaccines in general is hard for a lot of people. Some people don't want to get their flu vaccine, even though we've been doing it for years. So here, if I tell you that we developed a vaccine in some shorter period of time, irrespective of the safety, no matter what I tell you, legitimately, you're going to have concerns. If I tell you that we haven't done full, large-scale, long-term studies, legitimately, you're going to have some concerns. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. my job to tell you what we do know, Mm. and I can tell you about the risks that we do know, And hopefully I can convince you that those risks remain low, that benefit remains extremely high, and I can convince you to do what I feel is the right thing for you and for the population in general. Well, thank you for that. So let's talk about this particular vaccine and why people should feel comfortable as opposed to some of the things that you've said. What makes this different? One of the questions I consistently got is that this vaccine was made quickly, right? So I wanted to let you have an opportunity to discuss why why this is different and why this should be different. So a few things on this. Number one, now you know we have three approved vaccines in the United mm-hmm. States. Two of them are this technology that uses mRNA, which everyone is considering new. And the most recent, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, is your standard viral vector virus with an adenovirus. And so people might feel more comfortable with that. However, all of these have been shown to be safe. That's the only reason they've been approved. Right, Um, right. Having said that, the using the mRNA technology, even though it's been happening for years, right? We've been using this for potential cancer vaccines. This is just the first time we've used it for an infectious agent. And I think it's important to note that the main virologist that is in charge of the division at the NIH that does this is an African-American woman. We've invited her to talk at some of our town halls, Dr. Corbett. 
I think it's important to note that participants, some of the first participants in the Moderna trial, these are African-Americans. They are the spouses and children of those that are African-Americans. So seeing that large-scale adoption on the front line, hopefully, would make some minority populations feel a little bit more comfortable. The safety of the virus, I don't believe, is in question. And some would argue that the mRNA vaccines might actually be more safe because they just don't stick around in the blood for that long. That's one of the reasons why they need a booster. What is that? Like when you say MRA, like what is that to the common person like myself? What does that mean to them? What does that mean as opposed to how we used to make vaccines or different? That's a great point to try to teach without trying to teach a virology course in the the (laughs) few minutes that we have. Uh, But if we think about the standard vaccination and what I just told you about the Johnson & Johnson, the standard viral vector, I'm going to take some DNA, some double-stranded DNA, some the genetic material from a virus. I'm going to put it in another virus that's been inactivated. That's your adenovirus, Mm. what causes the common cold usually. But we've made this common cold virus so that it shouldn't give an infection. It, It should just infect this DNA, right? And so then this gets into your cells. It's into your nucleus. Your body starts to make proteins against that DNA. And then now, when you're exposed to the real thing, hopefully you can mount a response. Your body says, hey, I've seen that before. It shouldn't be here. Let's get rid of it. The difference in the mRNA vaccines are just that messenger RNA, number one, it's a lot more unstable than DNA, so it doesn't last as long. That's one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons why you hear everything about having to be super cold. Okay. Um, Two shots, right? Two, is that why? Exactly. And multiple shots. Exactly. So that's why you hear those differences. But the mRNA is delivered to you, never goes into your nucleus. It goes to your cellular machinery that normally makes other proteins. So ribosomes never gets into the nucleus. Remember, I said that Mm -hmm. your ribosomes now make this protein that matches the spike protein or how the coronavirus can infect your body. And Similarly to how I just described the the adenovirus process works, now you've got this, your own spike proteins that are being made and you're making antibodies against that. Let's start with some of the questions that we got, I got from people and we'll go from there. So we talked about the differences and one of the questions I continue to get is if you had a choice, and I know that's not necessarily the right framing of the question, but the question I keep getting is if you had a choice which vaccine should you take? And I have an idea what your answer will be, but go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, you're right about my answer. And it's my answer to this question all the time. It's the vaccine that is available. There's definitely not any information that's going to tell you that one of these three is better for you than the other. Whichever vaccine is available to you is the one that you should take. And I know there's also usually questions about, well, I only got one dose of this one. Can I now get the second one? The real answer to that is we don't know what Mm -hmm. happens if you get one of one and then one of the other. That's not how any tests were done. So So don't risk it. (laughs) Anybody that tried to give you a comment about that is it's just conjecture. So you should stick with the vaccine that you got and whichever one is available is the one that you should get. So I had had a, a question that was interesting. Is there anyone that should not get this COVID-19? Is there anybody who should not get it? Right. Some people cannot mount a immune response. So they have problems with their immune system. That means that they will not be able to see this vaccine and then make a response to it. Those people should not get vaccinated. 
it's a very limited group of people that shouldn't get vaccinated. Those that should, should absolutely be vaccinated. And then one of the questions I got was about pregnancy. Like if you, if you are pregnant or you're thinking about being pregnant, what do you think people should do as far as that, those side effects are about pregnancy? No, that's a fair question. And we are gaining more and more information about this with every single day. Originally, the recommendation was that you should talk to your doctor. And most of the times, the doctor didn't really have a good, better answer either. What we do know is that people that were enrolled in the trials became pregnant, and there has been no evidence of adverse events. And actually, more recently, we are starting to see, and you should see guidelines that come out to say that pregnant women can decide if they want to get the vaccine and that there's no evidence that there's any harm to the mother or the baby if you're pregnant and you get a vaccine. We do know, again, I'm, I'm always focusing on what we do know rather than the questions that we don't have the answers to, but we do know that there appears to be some susceptibility to the pregnant patient that gets COVID-19. And I've just told you that you have a method to make it to where you will not get severe disease in a way that there have been mm. no associations with poor outcomes with pregnancy. Pregnant people should get the vaccine. And so like you're saying too, like if you're pregnant, you're more susceptible to getting it. So that's why you really should get it if you are, are pregnant. What about other side effects have um, of, with the vaccine that we've seen so far? What are, what are some of the other side effects? So I'm often going around around flu season to tell people that no, you in fact did not get the flu from your inactivated flu vaccine. What people get are symptoms of that systemic response and may have fevers. They may feel bad. They may have a headache. All of that is your body mount an immune response to the abnormal proteins that they've just seen. That's what one should expect when they get the COVID-19 vaccination. Everyone is different and everyone mounts that response differently. Some people have severe symptoms. They have to miss work. Some people are back to work the next day. They don't even have any arm pain. The people that had really, really severe symptoms are no better protected than those that did not. We just know that there's differences from person to person, and sometimes you feel differently. So that fever, kind of just general malaise, or I got to take a nap. My wife came home and had to take a nap in the middle of <laughs> in the middle mm -hmm. of the evening that night mm -hmm. when she got her vaccination. I just had bad arm pain for two days. Um, but in, so it's and very, some very people strange. haven't gotten any side effects, and that's okay as well too. The vi it still works, either you have it or not, right? Absolutely. So those people that didn't develop any symptoms still had robust immune responses when they had antibody titers testing in the trials. Okay. So, and then also if they've had COVID-19 already, should they get the vaccine? Yeah. So the guidance that's delivered is that 90 days after a positive infection, a positive COVID test is the time where you would get a vaccine to offer future protections. And the reason is that is that we don't know how long immunity lasts when you get COVID-19. And the same goes for the COVID-19 vaccination. We don't know how long immunity lasts. Those tests are ongoing and it'll be updated as we get the information. And so that's why you might get guidance about, oh, you need a third dose. You also might mm -hmm. say, oh, well, you're going to be good for a year. Those tests are ongoing right now. So we're in this process, really, of learning about how long this vaccine is going to last. When they normally do trials like this, how long does it take for them to really get a good understanding of, of these type of things? I mean, how long are we going to be in this kind of COVID fog of information about effects? Anytime there's a new 
a new kid in town that things are like this. People are still trying to understand. But long-term data, you think about six, six months, 12 months, you think about mm-hmm. eight, two years. So literally, as we keep meeting those milestones, there'll be another release of data that will better inform us on what we thought we knew from the three months prior. So they're ongoing, but one year, two year follow-up studies, that's when we'll get a little bit more information. And a lot will have to do with the characteristics of the pandemic itself. Are numbers going to go back up as states start to relax mask mandates and other social distancing procedures that we absolutely still should be doing until we have a better understanding of what COVID vaccination actually means for everyone. But that could certainly cause an increase in cases. That could cause an increase in the amount of COVID-19 that's active in the environment, in communities. That could affect who gets infected. All of these things play a role on top of just the science and observational studies. So one of the other questions I, I was getting to about when you see the COVID vaccine, it's, it's 95% effective. What exactly does that, does that mean? No, that's a great question because a lot of people say things like, oh, well, I think the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is less effective, and that may be true, but what we're leaving out is the nuance of what that actually means. And so Mm. when you're talking about effectiveness, what Pfizer and Moderna are telling you is that if you get the vaccine, you do not require oxygen, you do not get admitted into the hospital, you do not have severe disease. There may be less answers about whether or not you can still get COVID-19 because that's not the way that the study was done. Got it. Got it. Furthermore, one more point on that is that you cannot compare effectiveness of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine versus effectiveness of a Pfizer or Moderna vaccine unless you put all three vaccines against each other in the same trial. That has not been done. So it's irresponsible to talk about the effectiveness of one versus the effectiveness of another, unless you do that type of trial. And the last point on this, 70% effective rate is actually extremely good. Mm -hmm. So all of these vaccines are very effective to prevent severe disease, to prevent you from being hospitalized, prevent you from having severe COVID disease. So you may not have the answer to this, but uh, I always want to go to the source. What is the kind of, you know, in Florida, we're, we're moving down the scale. What is the kind of timeline at least or what you know about it being more available to the general public what people are wanting to know like when they can get it you know and and so when is that kind of full rollout do you think will happen yeah so obviously that's a moving target the more mm-hmm. vaccines that are created the easier it's going to be to deliver them to states and the easier it's going to be for states to deliver them to the people furthermore the longer time that the states are figuring out ways to get out the vaccine, the more efficient the process becomes. So the more people that are actually going to have access to get the vaccine. What I can tell you is that ramp up of production is ongoing Mm -hmm. and our administration can easily state that we know that the number of vaccines that we're going to have available is going to grow. That means that I'm going to be able to deliver more. That means that Florida can plan to deliver more. And that means that they can tell Walgreens or they can tell the federal sites, the larger sites, they can tell all of your pharmacies, all of your grocery stores that we're going to be able to deliver more so they can plan and they can make more appointments and more and more people can get the vaccine. It's a long, frustrating, drawn out process, but that's the place where we are when we're managing a global pandemic right now. So when you see things on the news like the Defense Production Act is going to 
ask Merck to make more of this vaccine because that is nothing but good news. That mm -hmm. means more vaccine that adds to the bottom line. And that goes down that chain that I just described of getting more needles and more arms. No, I love that. So, so you're saying that we're going to get the summer back. We're going to get our, we're going to have our summer back. It's possible. So what I'm saying is we're <laughs> certainly going to be in a point where people aren't going to be looking at ICU hospitalizations and thinking that they need mm -hmm. to shut the streets down. Okay. That's why it's so important for us to remember that just because we got our vaccine doesn't mean we can go back to normal. We still have to be vigilant so we can prevent those additional spikes that would increase that scrutiny. But I am absolutely saying that when you get your vaccine, you definitely are going to be in a position where you know the likelihood of you being hospitalized or having severe COVID disease is that much lower. And if you are surrounded by other people that are vaccinated, great. And if you're not, your uh, level of, of security needs, needs to continue to be high. Because right now, based off of what you said, the vaccine still may not prevent you from, I guess, getting it or spreading it, right? It, it's just preventing the huge amount of physical damage to your body at this point, right? Is that where we're at? That's exactly right. And the reason for that is that's the way that the studies were designed, mm -hmm. right? They didn't have testing every day after you got the vaccine just to see if you've got it or not. No, right. they just queried about, hey, do, do you have symptoms? Oh, do you have a positive COVID test? Oh, are you hospitalized? No? Great. We know the vaccine is effective. Got it. Got it. No, no. Thank you for all of that. I think, you know, I will, I will say this and I kind of like wearing masks during the flu season. You notice that there's just a, been a, a difference. And, and if you truly really travel to some other places, that is what happens. And so, you know, I know there's a, a, a more political thing about masks, which I feel is kind of foolish, but the science is there. The science is clear on that, but also I'm just noticing, like, I hope we bring back masks for flu season next year, because I just think it just makes, it just makes sense. It just makes sense, you know, and keep washing your hands, right? Everybody yeah. don't stop washing your hands either. I tell this to people all the time when they were talking about not wanting a flu vaccine. I see people get admitted to my hospital and die of the flu every year. This year we've had no flu cases, none, zero. I mean, that's amazing. And, that, and that's, and that's amazing. I, I just like, I don't think people realize what the flu does to the, to the, you know, what it does to you guys during flu season for the hospitals and all of that stuff. And so, especially for people that are not insured and all of this stuff, I don't want to get into all of that on this one, but you know, it's one of those things where like, if you, if we start to think more about public health as a community, as opposed to individuals, I think a lot of times these pandemics will just we would have done a lot better. And, and, and so, but that's just what we have to do. And I think sometimes it takes a pandemic for you to understand that, like to understand that that's what needs to be happening. Anything else, Dr. Porter, that you want to say, you know, you do a lot of these conversations and I think it's important and great for the community to be able to have a, a local resource that they can get answers from. But is there anything else that you wanted to make sure that we put out there to, to the listeners? Yeah, I mean, just a couple of points. The first is that anyone that can be vaccinated should get vaccinated. And the reason for that is that whole of people that can't. And right now, those are people with compromised immune systems, but they're also children. Children are just now being added to these trials. You know, I think Pfizer's going down to age 12. Hopefully by the end of the summertime, we're going to have some new guidelines where we can start to incorporate children and we'll have some new studies where we can go even younger than that. But also know that there's so many people that don't meet criteria to be vaccinated at vaccination sites that just because you get vaccinated, 
that's the reason why you cannot relax all of the things you've been working so hard at for the past year to prevent the spread of this disease. We're close. We're making progress. We're seeing positivity, but we can't let that blind us from the reality that this is still out there. There's still people suffering. We've lost mm-hmm. half a million people. That mm-hmm. number is going to go up, hopefully not as fast. Mm-hmm. Um, let's not lose sight of the finish line by feeling like we've got our freedom back. We got to continue to act appropriately and safely. And really that mindset of the community, the population health is so much more important. I feel like we have an individual responsibility to protect those people that we care about around us. And that means following these procedures in addition to getting your vaccine. Yeah. So unfortunately, what you're saying, Dr. Porter, is just because you get the vaccine, you can't just go out and go crazy yet. Right. Because I think that's a lot of people. um, I mean, I'll be honest. I'm looking forward to getting my vaccine so I could do that. But I have to relax is what you're is what you're telling me for now, at least. But but you will have the you will know how much safer you are in your travels because you've gotten your vaccination. Yeah. Yeah. So you're still protecting yeah. other folks and there's still other folks that are risks to you, but you know that you're not going to get hospitalized. There's that's the, look, this is effective. You're not going to be hospitalized from this. You can still be careful, but it should be a little bit of a sense of security, but you still got to be smart. Thank you so much for coming on uh, why you should care and really thank you for really taking your time to educate the public about something that I feel like if, if, you know, the more it's okay for people to have questions and to be hesitant, but as long as they can, you know, con- to find those questions and, and answers, because people should ask questions about their health care. I mean, that, that's one thing I, I, I tell people is ask questions is, is your body, your life. And so you should get as much information as possible before making a decision. But I hope people will listen to this have some questions answered and go out and, and get vaccinated. But even after they get vaccinated, everyone continue to like work together to kind of stem all of the effects of this disease. So like I said, thank you so much for coming on the show, Dr. Porter. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it.